0: Live from wherever you happen to be, it's the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. And now, here's your host, curator of the hall, Jamie Dew. Wow. If
1: only we couldn't all have a VO person like that introduce us as we walked into various rooms Thanks, Double D, Doug DeNance. It's great to be back. This is episode two of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, and I am pretty stoked. We're one week into season 47. We've had an episode uh, under our belts, and we're ready to move forward with episode two featuring Gilda Radner. This is exciting, right? Now, I am also the curator of the Hall of Fame, which means for you that it's time to wipe your feet before you enter, because this isn't your rec room, okay? So, wipe your feet, and although I am looking for a physical location for the SNL Hall of Fame, so if your rec room is available, please reach out, jamie at snlhof.com. How cool would that be? To be broadcasting live from your rec room. Oh my God. I'm excited just thinking about it. I'm also excited thinking about today's episode and what it is we're here to do, which is elect, ultimately, elect a class into the SNL Hall of Fame. The SNL Hall of Fame is going to be, you know, a bunch of different things. It's going to be different things for different people. We're going to keep track of, Uh, statistics and records and and whatnot, but we're also going to celebrate the best of the best in four different categories, cast member, writers, hosts, and musical guests. Each week, I'll invite a guest or guests to essentially create the ballot for the SNL Hall of Fame by bringing a nominee to add to the ballot. Last week, we talked to Andrew Clark, and he brought Lauren Michaels to the ballot, which I got to say, it's got to be a slam dunk, doesn't it? He's got to go in the Hall of Fame. He's got to be the first member elected. So keep that in mind. If he appears on 51% or more of the ballots cast when voting happens, he will be in the Hall of Fame. This week, as I've already alluded to, I sit down with Matthew Price, a good friend of mine, a film and television enthusiast, and all- around good guy. And we talk about Gilda Radner. Gilda is, of course, uh, an interesting case. She is a original cast member. She had a lot of potential leaving the show. Uh, you know, they did they did a, a program focused around her and had it not been for her tragic battle with cancer and her untimely death she would have certainly been back to host the the uh show and leave another mark so there's that i hope you enjoy this episode if you do please subscribe to the podcast Leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want, tweet or email me at SNLHOF or Jamie at SNLHOF.com. That's really all the outline I have for you. Why don't we get right into the nitty gritty at this point and go to my conversation with Matthew Price, where we talk about SNL cast member Gilda Radner.
0: Like, I feel like it's so obvious and yet because she died young and had a real struggle towards the end of her life, I think it's easy to forget how important she was to the show, how, how fundamental she was to its success and just how like universally beloved She was as a, not just as a performer, but like as a human,
1: everything that you read, that is, that is what you hear.
0: Yeah. Nobody look for a person that had relationships with more than half of the cast. Right. right. Like guilt, you know, you would think that that's a situation where people could have some very bitter feelings about someone who, you know, they, they have a relationship with them. Then they, then they go on and they see someone else who they work with, having a relationship with nobody has a a remotely or ever seems to have had a remotely bad thing to say about her. No, it's like, think about being that person who's just so sunny and, and not Pollyanna, but just like genuinely an appealing, lovely person that you don't begrudge them anything, (laughs) right? That what they do is okay because it's them. And I just, you know,
1: I can't think of a, of another Person like that, you know what I mean? Right, like, right uh, in in the Hollywood milieu, you know? right? Like, it just right. doesn't
0: and and it's and it's on all sides. Like, I think as a performer, I think she's the first. You know, you can t- kind of take Chevy out of the mix in terms of like being the first star because he's a very different type of first star. Absolutely, where he his stardom was completely about him himself.
1: He said live from New York at Saturday night every week.
0: Every week. He, he did. He the weekend hosted update. Weekend Update. Said, "I'm Chevy Chase every week," and he basically, as soon as it became viable for him to capitalize on that, he jetted immediately. That's right. uh, I mean, there's certain. It's. I don't know if this will shock you, but apparently, he's not a very nice person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so you know, I think it's it's very different to become. You know, I would say probably if you look at it in terms of outside success and who got to be work outside of the show, the earliest it's Gilda. Gilda is the one who got to go do a, do a show called Gilda live because the demand for her was so strong. And, you know, and I mean, just on a technical level, I don't think I've ever seen anyone in any sketches on SNL ever who's as naturally funny and present in the scenes from an acting standpoint as she is and like and it just doesn't and and the you know she also has great characters like i would say you could say like emily Latella and rosanna rosanna dan and baba wawa these are the sort of breakaway characters um for especially among the female staff uh, uh female performers i don't think anybody else had um, not to take anything away from Lorraine or, or, uh, Jane, Jane. Jane, neither Lorraine or Jane have a single character that you can go. That's, that's a, that's a Lorraine Newman character, right? right? Like they don't have that. So she has that, which, which is, so she's the only uh, woman uh, on that first go round. It has that thing of like recognizably developing characters that people really spark to.
2: One of the hottest tickets in New York these days is for the treasures of Tutankhamun, the Egyptian king who died in 1325 B.C. The ancient relics that were buried with the boy king are on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And here to report on this exhibition is correspondent Roseanne Rosanna Davis. Thanks a lot, Fader, A Mr. Richard Fader from Fort Lee, New Jersey, writes in and says, Dear Rosanna, Rosanna Dan, I keep reading about King Tut. Who is this Tut? What's so special about this Tut? Did you see Tut? Should I see Tut? What kind of name is Tut? Did you know that Tut spelled backwards still spells Tut? <laughs> Do you think that Tut will ever come to my town? Mr. Fatter? this king got enough problems being dead. Don't make it worse by making him go to New Jersey. <laughs> Mr. Fader, you wrote to the right lady, because I, Rosanna Dana, went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art right here in New York City to see the Tut exhibit, and I really learned a lot of neat things. You know, Mr. Fader, the Egyptians believe that when you die, you're not really dead. You just go to another place. So they buried people with all their stuff so they don't have to shop when they get there. (laughs) Anyways, this King Tut was just a kid when he died, but they buried him with some very expensive pottery bowls and some razzly-dazzly golden masks and even his very own cute little teeny tiny chair. But then I said to myself, Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, if his tiny chair is here in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, that means that little thud is walking around in the afterlife with no place to sit down. So he's been standing around for 3,000 years. So anyways, I was walking around and looking at everything, and like in this one glass case, they had this little king touch, fancy-smancy gold plate or something. And I was trying to get a close look at it, pressing my nose up against the glass and fogging it up with my breath and everything, wiping it off and fogging it up again. When I noticed my tongue, was all green from eating this florette's mint to give me good breath. (laughs) And I kept trying to scrape the green off of with my teeth like this, you know, like that. (laughs) And then my teeth got green on them. I tried to scrape that. I thought I was going to (laughs) die. Here I a culture museum with a green tongue. <laughs> but do you know what really makes me sick? Did you ever look underneath your tongue? It's all blue and white and pink and it's real soft and bumpy and it's got this real thin piece of skin that you're always afraid it's going to rip if you open your mouth oh for <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> A man writes in and asks questions about possibly the most incredible phenomena of any civilization. And you start talking about the inside of your mouth. Well, Jane, it just goes to show you, it's always something. If it's not one thing, it's another. If you can't get tickets to the Todd exhibitor, you got a green tongue. It's just like the little fable that I used to hear before I went to bed at night. It's a very happy story that was told to me by my, my optimistic aunt, Pollyanna Rosanna Dan. It's called The Fox and the Grapes. Once upon a time, there was this little fox. And one day, he saw this bunch of grapes that was hanging from a tree. Well, the fox jumped and jumped and jumped. But because he, he wanted to eat the grapes, but he couldn't reach them. So he went out and bought himself a wooden stool. He put it under the tree, climbed up on the stool and reached up, but it fell off and the little fox died. That's a happy story. It's a great story, Jane. It's a classic. Because what Jane don't know is, this little fox just happened to be an Egyptian little fox. So they buried him with the grapes and the wooden stool. And they didn't put that stool in no Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art. So at least that little fox had a place to sit down. Good so not my little Roselle. Roselle
0: but then even in like the Todd and Lisa sketches which and love. which, oh my God, they're so funny. And and uh and you know, in, and in every sketch, even when she's not doing something that's about a recognizable character, but it's just about being in the scene, she's memorable and just kind of, you know, it's not a thing where she has to show off to pull your eyes. She just, you just want to see what she's going to do. Um, And then you think about behind the camera and kind of what is her influence on the show. So she champions the, the female writers on the show, but she also is the one that pulls Bell into actually being a, a functioning writer on the show uh, tell us more about that so Al Bello Bell is a you know is the like one of the only writers on the show who didn't come out of nat lamp or kind of like underground humor he wrote sticky jokes for for established comedians he he was a he was a st- not a straight joke writer but he was the guy that could write like if you know if milton Burl needed some new material so i was probably one of the guys that would get the call he could do regular whatever you call establishment comedy and that has a place on snl it, you know your your sketches need jokes they can't just right they can't just be michael o'donohue conceptual <laughs> <laughs> that's right they need jokes, man. <laughs> you kind of have so occasionally you got to throw people a bone and not just bask in the uncomfortableness. <laughs> right. No, right. Completely. So and he was uh, the story that I've read is that he was pretty intimidated by the other people in the room who are a bunch of pretty forceful personalities in that writer's room. And that at one point, Lauren came into the room and was like walking around the room asking for people's ideas. And he hid behind a plant because he didn't want he didn't have anything he wasn't working on any sketches he didn't have any ideas that he he was confident about and gilda found him behind the plant and was like like pulled him out and said here we're going to be writing partners here's two ideas here can you write me a sketch where i'm a parakeet i need some stuff for the parakeet to say and then she had one other idea i can't remember what it is and then she like basically sat down beside him and said okay so can you can you do these? Like, I mean, I think yeah, okay. And then Lauren came around and she was like, "Alan has these great ideas." In one of them, I'm a parakeet. Like, she gave him credit for the ideas in order to get him, because she just instinctively understood what this guy needed, and she was such a, a empathetic, generous, tuned in person. Yeah, you know, and and uh, yeah, and so that. I, I feel like that is a part of what you see in her as a performer. Uh, she is just an unbelievably empathetic and tuned in person.
1: Those eyes. They just, yeah, yeah. they're just so they just suck you right in.
0: I think about what's the, there's a perfume called like the morning after or something where it's about the walk of shame. Like it's the perfume. Right. for the oh, And shit. she's like coming out of a one night stand and she's all bedraggled and like, why? Is she, and it's really funny. Right. And like, uh, you know, like, that's not a person who has any vanity in her performances. And yet she is just this naturally her sexiness, her appeal. Um, And I'm not using that word in solely in the terms of like attracting men, but I just no, think no, I understood. her, yeah, her I understood confidence me. and sexiness in knowing that she has intrinsic value. I think she should be uh, an icon for feminism because she doesn't let what is clearly a pretty toxically male environment in any way impede her not uh, at all in that show. And it impeded, it definitely impeded Lorraine the, uh, Lorraine. It definitely impeded Jane who kind of like was like, look, I'm going to come into work and do my job. And then I'm getting the fuck out of here. Cause I don't want any part of any of this. That's <laughs> yeah. right. But uh, so it, and you can see it in the way that she's used in the sketches. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think uh, those things, put her in the hall of fame for me. And, and you know, I can, I can, we can run down a list of like favorite Gilda sketches, but I think the bigger deal is all of this other stuff that really helps the show become its sort of potential of what it is. Right. Nobody's better as a scene partner than her. Um, like I, like the, there's no male or female. There's no uh, cast, other cast member that doesn't look better than when they're in a scene with Gilda. If that if that no, makes sense, that right? That totally jives. Yeah, She's really, just this supportive, incredible uh, person, and she, you know, and there, there are others. Like I said, Danny has a virtuosic thing with with his mouth that not very many people have, where he can just bend his his uh, syllables around in a way that's like crazy and exciting, right? And and nobody's as sort of like raw as Belushi in terms of just tapping into a kind of weird, ragey. I think except for Sandler, there's nobody else who's got that like deep tap into anger in a way that's really funny. Yeah. But in terms of all around, uh, you know. I've never
1: heard, I've never, I, I, just as a as a comma. Yeah. I've never heard anyone make the Sandler to Belushi comparison before. Like people love to sort of wedge in. Um, Farley. Farley. But I, well, think when, I as soon as you said that though, I yeah. was like. Oh my God, you're right. Like from a well, from that from that perspective. a simmering, smoldering,
0: yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like in tr- both, both of them, I think what part of their appeal is that they're sitting on a lot of rage, yeah, uh, and and uh, and it's barely controlled, yeah, <laughs> right. They're both the Hulk, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm I'm angry all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like that, yeah. But but what she does, so she doesn't have those sort of like those. I feel like those are sort of like spikes off of the core, but her core is so strong. Her, you know, her center is such is so beautiful, and and frankly, her her timing is unbelievably strong. Like, you know, it's a, it's kind of like. Uh, you know, once you have the idea for Emily Latella, you go like, well, anybody could do it. It's like, uh, uh-uh. no, because she's there's <laughs> she's it's so controlled how well she's doing it, and like there's a lot of like really fine work in Gilda's work that's really like the again, if you want to start making comparisons, the only person I can think of in terms of like taking the approach to comedy that's so focused and on the like the teensy tiny little details is like michael richards as kramer like like that i don't know if you've ever seen outtri- outtakes from seinfeld but like there's stuff that michael richards does in the outtakes where you could see he's like no it's a millimeter will make a difference here you have to be really precise and she's that precise on a show that's live
1: that is staggering i mean that, yeah, yeah, yeah that alone yeah that alone so that's her... my
0: that's my pick for hall of fame like yeah i, I you know i think
1: I think all her in front of the camera stuff, you know, makes her an all-star for sure. Yeah. You know, if, if again, to wedge the uh, sports analogy into this, makes her an all-star for sure. But when you add in all that stuff that you <laughs> that you piled on top of that, that story with her going behind the potted plant
0: and you just, can just sort see of hang her out there, it,
1: right? hang out there with yeah, Zoe you can Bell for see a her
0: wearing the overalls and the t-shirt yep. and no, no socks or shoes. And sitting cross in the lotus position behind that plant with it. Like, I just see it in my head, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just being like, hey, you know, like, yeah just sweet and sincere and yeah. and, and not
0: condescending and just giving this guy an in like yeah. just generously giving him an in
1: cuz it's going to make the show better yeah exactly you know? yeah. and and she came from that background i mean she's famously part of the godspell cast in toronto <laughs> yeah yep. one of the
0: first uh second she, city she was second city groups in toronto was she danny's girlfriend first i feel like she was she was martin short she, she was martin short's girlfriend first that's short. right yeah. that's right and then she and then she was with danny after that
1: and yeah. then bill murray famously while they were on the show
0: right and then the todd and lisa sketches are while they are mostly that's right and so some of them
1: are some of them are so some of the yeah
0: completely differently right and like some of the make out things and the and the teasing and the physical stuff he's like well he's just i mean if you (laughs) it's funny i i feel like there must have been a time when that was what bill murray thought foreplay was because like it's not that different from the scene in uh in stripes where he where he gets the uh i think it's um i can't remember the, the actress's name but he gets her up on the stove and he starts m- m- get, getting at her with a spatula <laughs> and it's like the same like goofy 12 year old version of foreplay <laughs> oh god <laughs> Where it's like it's about you know pulling things right you just you poke stuff until something <laughs> happens
1: <laughs> um i don't think you're gonna have a problem with this nomination at all, I think that anybody who's spent a second watching any of the first five seasons is going to latch onto this nomination yeah. right off
0: the bat. This is the pick that I feel like this pick ought to win.
1: Yeah, I think she's the first ballot Hall
0: of Famer. I I, I think so too. Yeah, I so, think I think she ought to win. She's for many reasons. Yeah. Yeah.
1: great i really want to thank matthew price for coming by and sitting down with me to talk about gilda and her inclusion in the snl hall of fame her potential inclusion i should say i shouldn't tip my hand Next week, we will be back with a brand new episode featuring the head honcho of the SNL network, John Schneider. And he and I are going to get hosty with it as we discuss Steve Martin and his candidacy for uh, the SNL Hall of Fame in the hosting category. It's a great episode. And uh, certainly, if you're a fan of Steve Martin, Uh, Or if you're just a fan of the early years of SNL, it's a captivating conversation and it's a must listen. So there's that. That's what I've got for you this week. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Make sure to turn off the lights on your way out because for now, the SNL Hall of Fame is closed.
0: Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show at snlhof.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcast. This is Doug Danant saying, This is Doug Danant saying, See you next month in the hall.
1: some such.